This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome in, everybody, and Happy New Year. I know it's been a while. Uh, We have an amazing guest and a really wonderful interview for you today. Want to say Happy New Year. Sorry it's been so long. I've been crazy busy. Wanted to let that leverage one sit for a couple of weeks, but then time just got away from me and I didn't post any of the interviews that I did from that point on. And I have some great interviews in the can that we're going to post over the next couple of weeks and I'm going to try to get back to it. But today is someone I've been so excited to bring you since November when we sat down and did this interview. This is really up close and personal with the iconic comedian, the legend, and now Dr. Yakov Smirnoff. That's right. He has his PhD. He is a doctor. It is so cool that he, I followed his journey on Facebook studying for his doctorate. It is so cool that now he has it. He talks about it in his show. I had the chance to interview him in person in Branson, Missouri at his theater in his office. And he couldn't have been more hospitable or more open in this conversation because I grew up watching his act and very much he, his story and his life experience is a part of his act. And I've always wanted to ask questions about that life experience and about his experience as an American immigrant coming here, being very patriotic, loving America, his artwork. He is a beautiful artist. He had the 9-11 mural on a building across from Ground Zero, and he sells little pieces of that at his theater from when they took it down. And half of his lobby is a gallery of some of his most beautiful, beautiful artwork. I absolutely love his artwork. In fact, there's a print that I need to go order as soon as I finish recording this because I think it's back in stock. But that tells you how popular his artwork is that it his prints just sell like crazy. This man is just an incredible comic genius and I think one of the most important thinkers about democracy and freedom and and the immigrant experience that we could ever have. And so it was a joy to sit down and talk to him about his career in entertainment, his life in America, his life in Branson, which again is where this took place. And in fact, so you understand some of the interview, I have to explain that the day before I did the interview, I went to see his show at his theater. And as part of the show, he does a joke contest with the audience where he wants to find someone to bring on stage. And the way he does that is he brings on stage the winner of this joke contest who gets the biggest reaction. Well, I'm thinking I'm going to interview Dr. Smirnoff tomorrow. I don't I don't want to make myself a center of attention. Not interested in that. Don't want to do it. Well, the joke contest was getting off to a pretty slow start. So I thought, you know, I have no stage fright. I have a joke or two from my days as a magician I could I could uh, tell. So I just raised my hand. I had a dumb joke in mind. And I just thought, okay, this will be dumb, but it'll it'll help get the ball rolling. I think one or two people had gone before, but he wanted more. So I raised my hand. They called on me. They called on me and I told the joke. And I'm not going to tell you the joke until the end. You have to stay tuned till the end. After the interview, I'll tell the joke to you. And I'm thinking, this is a dumb little joke. 
we had just lost my grandmother. It was her favorite joke that I would do in the show. We just had her funeral. So I thought, in honor of her, I'll tell a joke. She loved this joke because every time she got to see me at a campground or wherever, I would reference her as being responsible for this joke or being the, 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 the centerpiece of the joke. And I think it's just going to get a little laugh, but it'll encourage other people to, to, say, to do a joke. Well, if they didn't scream with laughter and if Yakov didn't bend at the knee like I was freaking Kevin Hart or something, I didn't expect that reaction. I just, it had me beaming from ear to ear and it was clear that I won. So he pulls me up on stage and he says, what do you do for, he goes, where do you live? I say, Washington, D.C. Completely unironically, but that gets a laugh. And then <laughs> he says, what do you do for a living? I said, TV producer. Thankfully, I didn't say talk show host because then it would have looked like a setup because he says, OK, well, now we're going to do a TV talk show. We're going to do Branson live and you're going to interview me. I'm like, OK. And that was the setup for the next bit. And of course, I'm totally comfortable, but I'm laughing my tail off inside because I'm like, this is exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow when I sit face to face with him in his office. So if I would have said talk show host, it would have looked too clean. But it was it was great. He had me on stage. My only picture with him, because I didn't get a selfie the next day, my only picture with him is on stage. And you can see me just smiling from ear to ear. I didn't plan it. He pulled me aside. He said, your joke was really the perfect joke. I'm like, coming from a comedy master, that can't be true. And then the next day, it really sort of broke the ice in a way because he sees me standing there and I to let me into his office, I go, did you know it was me? He goes, I, I kind of had a, a feeling. He says, Matt, TV producer. And I had worked for an, for an agent of his and we'd met in passing a few times and I had been to his theater once before. I'd worked for a manager of his. And so he might have remembered my face, but it had been a couple of years. He goes, yeah, well, once you were sitting at the desk, it, it kind of clicked. I'm like, okay, good. So we were, we were chuckling about that. And this interview... Like I said, that having done that the day before, I think broke the ice because we had a really, this is one of my favorite interviews because I got to look him in the eye and really talk to him about all the things that he talks about in his show just expanded upon. Plus some things about when the Cold War ended and his career dried up for a few years and he had to pivot and, and figure out where he was going to be successful. So here now, a truly eye-opening and wonderful interview with our guest, Yakov Smirnov. We are here in Branson, Missouri at the Yakov Smirnov Theater. Yakov, how are you, sir? Doing, I'm doing great, thanks. I had a really fun show last night. It, it was. <laughs> I was side-split from ear to ear, my smile. It was so well, you, good. Well, you made the show better. <laughs> Definitely. Your joke was wonderful. You might want to tell your audience, your joke was really side-splitting. <laughs> I will. I'll do that at the end. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for that one. Well, thank you for having me last thank night. Thank you. You always make me laugh. And I mean, there are certain jokes that you've told for years, certain jokes that you tell that are new. How do you decide like what the classics are that your fans want to hear versus putting in the new stuff that you have? I, I think what I'm trying, what I'm doing is telling my story. Mm -hmm. And at some point in my life, it's, you know, different than this time, you know. So I, 
as long as the story uh, holds up and people are interested, um, then the jokes are just pieces of the puzzle. The puzzle is my story that would engage them and give them some kind of a... Um, the goals are entertain definitely, and then inspire and give hope. Um, all of those elements put, you know, become my show. Love that word hope. How did you find hope over the last year and a half? <laughs> well, uh, to be sane, you you need to look for it, um, and I my you know way to deal with it is to try to be logical in for what's right for me and my wife and find solutions that will give bring us an opportunity to have that so when like for example majority of uh, last end of the year and then um, and then begin of this year we went to Bali, um, Indonesia, where uh, it was totally different experience of COVID and masks and vaccines and all of that. It's a third world country with the beautiful beaches and beautiful warm places and stuff like that. So that's kind of probably my contribution to my wife and me, that I sense where where should I be at certain time, like right now being in Branson, I think is one of the best places in the country. We left California, we're not even thinking about it anymore. But you, it, it seemed like that was a great place to be, but then it became, you know, with COVID enhancing all of the challenges that California has, it was no brainer just to get out of there and come here. And this feels good for now. Uh, as it's getting colder, uh, Florida is calling and saying, come, come there. Um, and so I, I believe that I'm guided. Uh, God is guiding me where to be. So I don't get discouraged. I don't get frustrated. I just know life changes and it's good to be able to, you know, like Tony Robbins has an expression, says you can, during the winter, some people freeze to death and some people go skiing. <laughs> I like to go skiing. <laughs> I'm remembering the show last night and the skiing. Well, <laughs> that, that is not the best. <laughs> The comparison, but maybe water skiing in yes. Florida. Yeah. Yes. I want to go back to the beginning, and I mean the very beginning. 26-year-old Yakov Pokus, mm -hmm. Russia, mm -hmm. comes to America. Mm -hmm. If you could compare and contrast the immigration process today, how, how long did it take you to be able to come over here, or was that just the Ellis Island process? Um... Well, uh, the the biggest obstacle uh, started with this. First of all, like I was sharing last night, uh, it was the idea of leaving the Soviet Union was the the probably 
one of the most difficult things that my parents and I had to go through, just an idea to accept that we might try to get out. Uh, because it was so ingrained into us that there is no way to get out. No one ever gets out. People who try to get out get shot or they'll get uh, put in prison. So he, that was that was a paradigm shift because of my dad's uh, forward thinking uh, to get, you know, that we need to try to get out. And then he was kind of monitoring what was happening uh, in America and America at some point during Jimmy Carter, which is a, a great help to us. Jimmy Carter was pushing for um, freedoms in the world and this was one of those small windows of opportunity that he gave us a better up, you know, moment uh, to get out of there. So that was the hardest part. And then being accepted by America was second hard part because at those days they didn't open the border and say come on in. They were very uh, scrutinizing of who is coming and they were afraid of I, I make a joke about this that you know that they didn't want anybody with bad records uh, no Communist Party record no criminal record no Barry Manilow record so so yeah so um, and we were we waited uh, just like everyone uh, to legally enter this country and then it was next challenge was no English no nobody we didn't really know anybody I mean we we had a, a friend and her family uh, who were our neighbors in the Soviet Union they they came to America like like two years before us so they were you know, living in one bedroom apartment, kind of a, so we ended up, my parents and I sleeping on the floor there, you know, the, the, the typical uh, immigrant story, nothing different, much different than others' experience. So we just have to accept it and, and that's what we did. What drove you as a, as a new American immigrant to pursue a career in entertainment? <laughs> well, I was an entertainer in the Soviet Union, so I, I drank the Kool-Aid, I guess. I had um, desire uh, to hear the laughter. And um, I knew that I had a major obstacle, is my language. Um, I knew that. So, but I'm also very driven and, and kind of focused once I want something, I just go after it. So my goal was I'm going to learn the language, I'm going to learn the language. And, uh, and I did, and I became uh, a bar, bar, well, went to bartending school, which I didn't understand any of it, because it was hard to understand and uh, but I got, uh, I paid $200 and got a diploma as a mixologist. Uh, 
Hmm. Yes, and uh, so that that should go in my resume. Um, the doctorate degree and the mixologist. Um, <laughs> Is yeah. that when you chose the stage name Smirnoff? Yes, yes, that was, but it was also very proactive. I was, I knew that Pokies is not going to do it mm -hmm. uh, as a stage. I, even in the Soviet Union, I had a couple of different stage names. I kept looking for the one that kind of ironic and memorable and things like that. So I literally uh, remember living in New York and I, I had to, I had a list of Russian names that I was considering. Um, and I would go to like the, uh, Brooklyn, um, uh, to Brooklyn to the beach. Mm -hmm. And I would walk around and ask people, I said, can I ask you, whatever my English was at that time, uh, what Russian name you like? And I had like Brezhnev, Khrushchev, uh, Stalin. I mean, I, I was just, <laughs> I was just playing. I mean, I was looking for, you know, and when I would get to Smirnov, it would be like, oh, that's funny or that's interesting. So that helped me and there I was, I was working in a bar and so people would ask for Smirnov vodka and uh, so it became kind of normal. It, be, it wasn't hard. Uh, well, now it doesn't seem that way, but. Well, now it's your name. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I've been longer Smirnov than Pokies. I, wow. Oh, yeah, 40, what, 44 years I'm Smirnov. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. So recently, and I followed this journey on social media for you, you earned your doctorate, and I know love and laughter has been um, a thing for you since, since coming to America. What... What prompted you to go into that area of study? And by the way, just as an aside, I'd love to read your dissertation. I oh, really, really? I really would. Uh, Please. I, I can send it to you, sure. Yeah, yeah I, you know what? I need to read it too because it's been a couple, almost two years since I finished it. Um, so I'm curious what I concocted there because one thing I know for sure, uh, the only joke they allowed me to have was in the title. And it was Law of Laughter, LOL. <laughs> that was it. Otherwise, they were hunting me down. Anytime I do something humorous in, in the body of the 180, 190 pages. Wow. Uh, not, no jokes. All pure research, pure um, uh, awareness of the topic, pure, a lot of studying. Mm -hmm. But it was it was great. I really enjoyed doing that. But I can send it to you. Um, so yeah, the the, uh, the the decision to get first master's degree at University of Pennsylvania, and I studied there with the great teacher Martin Seligman. He is uh, the leading. Uh, he is the father of positive psychology. So that and I, it was an inaugural class for him, and I made it into that class, so that really was something. I didn't like to study when I was a kid, did not. So my mom was still alive, and she was shocked <laughs> when I got into the university to get my 
master's degree, and then she was there when I when I received it. So it was great. Um, the probably the biggest push was not just love and laughter as a whole. Um, it was my divorce that sent me on that quest. It was no question about it. The quest was why, what happened? Why? And love and laughter uh, was a byproduct of understanding, like I, I realized that laughter died way before anything else died. So as a comedian, it became kind of a interesting challenge to kind of go, why, why did that happen? <laughs> and why didn't I know? And why does it happen to so many people? So just absorbing surroundings and how many people were going for divorces and so none of that was, I didn't, be, I, I didn't think it's even possible to have a divorce. <laughs> none of the people I knew in the Soviet Union had divorce, so in my DNA, that's not an option. And there it was. And so I figured that I can help um, decode this or reverse engineer this and help people see um, what to watch out for um, during, you know, just being in a relationship. And so that became uh, scientifically interesting to me. I'm sorry to jump all over the place, but That's fine. I wanted to ask you this, and this is something I've wanted to ask you for a while, because you are one of the, in this town, one of the last entertainers to have his name on a theater, and right now at least, be the sole person performing at the theater. Right. You reached the, the pinnacle of success in the 80s. Uh, President Reagan, television, everybody knows who you are still to this day. In the 90s, Comes around. I know you make a joke about it in the show. I was two feet away from you when you make it when you made a yes, joke about yes. it in, in the show. But That's right. I am genuinely curious. What made you go, Branson? My answer to you, uh, similar to what I said last night, I did not. I fought tooth and nails to not to come here, because first of all, I never I never heard of it, and going from West Coast to East Coast when you fly over Missouri or that's just a fly place you fly over <laughs> and um, so I didn't really want to do it so after the Soviet Union collapsed and after the industry basically wrote me off there was no work I was uh, because People assumed that I was only funny because I was making jokes with the, about the Soviet Union. Um, and, they, and they followed me and they liked me and they gave me all of those perks that uh, we're talking about and, you know, commercials and appearances everywhere and stuff like that. So I was really a uh, living American dream. I was really... Uh, flying, what is it, high on, on the hug? <laughs> yeah, that was me. And so shock, first shock, when all of a sudden none, the, the, my contracts that I relied on, and we bought, my wife and I bought a two and a half million dollar home, 
mortgage to debt. I mean, we, we want to live like next to all the stars in the Pacific Palisades. So we bought a home and all of a sudden there's no income and we can't afford the mortgage. And the, our, um, see, Alexander was just born. So Natasha is two and Alexander was just born and, and no money coming in. So it was scary. It was kind of, you can't bitch when you live in a two and a half million dollar home, but when you can't afford it and you, you know, so, so my brain was like going, what do, what do I do? What do I do? And I joke about this, but there is truth to it. Um, that I, I start looking for a place where people did not know that the Soviet Union collapsed. <laughs> I ended up in Branson, Missouri. But it wasn't that, it, it took like, because the collapse was in, two, uh, in 1991, and I showed up here in 1993. So for two years, I looked how to reinvent myself, what to do, and I was trying to do more television. They weren't interested. I was trying to do um, clubs and I would go and not many people would come, which was shocking because prior to that, selling 2000 seat, you know, in theater was easy. So it was shocking, shocking and, and very disappointing. And, um, and then my agent calls me and he said, Willie Nelson is doing Farm Aid. Um, and there are several people who are co-hosting it, like Roseanne Barr with Tom Arnold, there were some other ones. He says, they're not gonna pay anything, but is that something you would consider doing? And it was Ames, Iowa. And I, and I was searching for whatever, but I said to my agent, I said, those farmers, they won't, they won't know who I am. And so I go there, and it's like 10,000 people in the stadium, um, or more maybe. And so Willie Nelson introduces me, and I walk out on stage, and they give me standing ovation. There's people who I thought didn't know who I was. And they loved it. They loved whatever set I did. And I remember going to say thank you to Willie Nelson, but I couldn't, I, in his trailer, but I couldn't see him because <laughs> the smoke was coming out. It's like, whoa. And he's sitting there and I go, I go, thank you, Willie, for this experience. And he used to, he was in Branson at that time, just temporary, it's not very long engagement. He didn't like it here. Uh, because they didn't like him, him smoking. and There's a story. He came here and he did his show. Uh -huh. And then he walked off stage. Uh -huh. And the people lingered in the gift shop. Yeah. Because they thought it was intermission. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And he was done. Yeah, and he was done. He yeah. just, he yeah. didn't design it for Branson. No. Yeah. No, he did not. But he did tell me about it. Yeah. And he said, you should check out Branson. They might like you. So all of a sudden it was like this authority figure that I respected as a entertainer and stuff like that, mm -hmm. tells me about it. And 
my agent kept telling me about try Branson. I don't want to go to Branson. So that's what guided me to come here. And it blew me away. That was 2000, March of 2000, the, the 1993, March. And I get here and we were coming back. My wife and I were coming back from, I did this show somewhere on a cruise ship or something. And we're, I said, you know, we're in Dallas. Why don't we just hop in, hop on the plane and go to Brent's? And she, she said, okay, let's try it. So we went and I was blown away because I, I went, I walked into Soji Tabuchi's theater. It was March and it was 2 p.m. show and there was 2,000 people in there. And I was like going, who is Soji Tabuchi and why are these people here? And the buses were lining up. I mean, it was boom, boom time. It was kind of a end of the peak of the boom time, but still was still boom, booming, Branson, booming, Branson. And I was like, who is Soji? And the production value was great. And it was like, I'm, I'm pinching myself. I said, I haven't seen stuff like this in Las Vegas. How did they do this? I mean, lasers and, you, I mean, it was pretty high tech. Everything was amazing. And, and then I go see Andy Williams, also 2,000 people packed in that evening show. I didn't know who Andy Williams was. Right. So I'm like going, well, if I don't know who these people are, then people who don't know me, <laughs> Maybe we'll come anyway because they're coming to see whatever. And so that was, that was my assessment. And I opened the, I rented the small theater, Christ, Christy Lane Theater. Time slots were like, I said, I'll take whatever time slot because I had no really choice to, mm -hmm. I had to. And so I took it and it was, not easy because first show I had was only 17 people came. Second show, 18 people. <laughs> so I'm going, oh man, I messed up. I, I'm, it's not gonna happen. But I also recognize that, you know, they don't know. I, 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 they, you know, they were telling me that a lot of business coming with motor coaches or buses and you, they, they book away in advance, so that's why you're just gonna get slim pickings, you know. And I had no money for advertising that much, so. But little by little, it grew and grew, and there we are. When did you realize that your staying power was not in Soviet Russia and the jokes therein, but in being somebody who loves America and wants to fight what you escaped coming to this country? I, I don't know if I ever really made the distinction because I didn't see myself the way the industry saw me mm -hmm. to begin with. So it wasn't a transition for me. It was just who I am. It's like what we started this conversation that it's, it's a story, my story, and it was always like that. It just 
the snapshot of what the new the industry uh, pigeonholed me as was the Russian comedian, the Soviet uh, jokes, and uh, and also you know those reversal jokes in Russia. You can always find a party in the, in America or in in Russia. In America, you can always find a party. In Russia, party always finds you. Those became kind of a. Um, they are attributed to me. I don't think I ever created that form. I'm sure it was done many times before me. But somehow, it, if you look in Wikipedia, they'll tell you that I originated that format. So, so I kind of created my own trap. It's like Andrew Dice Clay, you know, having you know the nursery rhymes became his own thing that that people just wanted to hear those nursery rhymes. Yeah. Before we end here, I gotta we have to talk about your art for just a few minutes here. Sure. This I'm looking at this beautiful waving American flag that you painted on HGTV mm -hmm. here in your office. Um, you were an art professor back in Russia. Mm -hmm. When did you start? When did you realize you had that artistic eye, and what inspires you? Um, I, I, I guess my dad had uh, ability to like design things more, not as kind of artistic, like painting, but he was very good in, in designing stuff, and I feel. Sometimes I look at my paintings, they're more like sculptures than paintings, because mm -hmm. I think that they, because I add that three-dimensional um, piece to it, and, and the, the older I get, the more, the more sculptured they become. Um, um, I guess it, it has to move me, uh, like things that, I, and I, it happens in a split second when I see something that moves me and I go, I gotta paint this. Right, like, right now, uh, my, my wife has been visiting her mom and dad in Ukraine, so I'm painting her um, uh, a painting uh, that, that just moved me because I sent her flowers the other day um, to, um, uh, my phone is somewhere. Um, Anyway, I, I sent her flowers and was and she sent me a picture of her holding those flowers and it just moved me. It was just something in her face, something, the combination of those, I don't know why. And I said, I got it. She's coming back on the 13th, so I'm painting. What moves me, I guess, um, first of all, this connects me because she's been gone for a couple of months. So this gives me an opportunity to kind of be with her even though she's not here. And then, and then what also moves me is like, I, I, I would like her to see it and feel special. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that, so every painting probably, if you walk from my gallery, it will have that moment when it was like, oh, I gotta paint this. Mm -hmm. I gotta paint this. I have America is my favorite. That's beautiful. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah I'm gonna get yeah. a, when they're back in stock. I'm gonna go online. I'm gonna get a print. Oh, cool. It's, it's just beautiful. And as a journalist, and I worked for Newsmax for a little bit before oh, okay. moving to where I am now. Uh, just I, 
that one speaks to me. It's well, so beautiful. there you go. And it spoke to me at some point that yeah. I wanted to paint it. It was just so unusual. What medium do you use to get that 3D it's aspect? Called, it's called um, uh, opaque flakes, I think. Uh, it's hard to get now. It's uh, so weird because they used to be in all the, like Michael's or in Hobby Lobby, but I went there for my wife's painting and I couldn't find it. So I had to order it online uh, to, to add that. So, so I made some medium out of snowflakes. I, I just got, I, I kind of figure they're probably doing something similar, but it's, it's not the same. So I've been kind of winging it, but yesterday I got the, the product. So I will be able to paint her face. And I painted the bouquet of flowers with that other medium and it kind of bulky and rough, but it probably will be something I'll look back and be proud of, of saying, hey, I gave it a shot. I didn't have the right stuff, but I improvised and I got something unusual. I love it. Uh, last question for you. Yeah. What keeps you coming back to Branson? I know you tour, you tour all over the place now, mm -hmm. But every fall, you're here. What keeps you coming back to your theater? I think um, fall uh, is the audience that can really appreciate uh, my patriotism. I, they, because summer audiences, I did this summer here, um, they're harder for them to relate because it's normally kids that tell their parents where they want to go, you know, and the parents are in their... 40s and so they don't remember some things that I talk about and so I feel somewhat disconnected from the summer audience and when I come to an a, adult audience they're older uh, but they are in tune with me and they also they appreciate the clean humor they appreciate family they appreciate America they, they, they to them I'm kind of a symbol of uh, what America used to be, uh, and they're missing it at this point. Um, so it gives them a little bit more hope. And so that's why I like coming here because it also feels good to have my own space where I, I next year's schedule is so much smaller. I don't know if it's online should be online. No, you're just, just this year's up on. Oh, okay. I need to, I need to update that uh, because I'm only doing like 30 shows next year. Here uh, or touring? Here, okay. here. And then I'll tour, but with COVID thing still very uh, sketchy, you know, it's yeah. like uh, they, they, they book a date, but then they change it because whatever. So I, I kind of, I feel like I'm 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 going to a next chapter of my life, and actually Netflix uh, we made a deal with um, the company who pro uh, does um, uh, the documentaries for Netflix and Hulu and stuff. So they made a deal with me that they're gonna do a documentary on my life. So this is happening like really fast. Uh, now, I mean, it, it, they, they saw me, the guy, 
the guy producer saw me in the comedy store, so it been September of last year, and then the COVID kind of went crazy with all. So now they're coming back, and now it's going to be happening. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and having um, uh, the next chapter, because one of the things that when they got interested in me and my story, they said the, the hook to your story is that you never give up. It's true. I, I, and I don't see it. I just, do, I just live that way. Mm -hmm. You never give up. Whatever the obstacle is, you just overcome it. So their question is, so what's your next chapter? So this has been very interesting and I'm very passionate about my, um, that, that message that, to, uh, about relationships. So I will, I, um, I, I want to go on tour of universities because I don't believe that anybody explains um, the simple stuff. Do you think, and I'm sorry to, no to go along here, but because this is fascinating, and when we met three years ago, um, you talked about it, and I, I have to say I agree with your philosophy, but I think a lot of people in our generation might find some of the things that you talk about to be, and you kind of talk about this in the show, a, a little, for lack of a better word, antiquated. So I'm interested to see how you would defend that on a university campus that doesn't like free thought anymore, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't like things that step out of line mm -hmm. in certain ways. Mm -hmm. What kind of reaction are you anticipating if you get to go to these um, campuses? I think that if it's uh, logical with humor uh, and it has the uh, basics, I, I developed this, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's probably not something, it's magnets that I explain uh, things with so it softens the blow, mm -hmm. and basically what I'm explaining, I'll show you, and probably it will be hard to, to for your audience to see it. Mean, so basically what I created, I got two magnets yeah. that are identical. Uh, and I'm saying this, one of them is, let's say, male and female, or, or it could be same sex. Right. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. So what happens, you can film it if you want to. Uh, I'm I'm okay. audio recording, okay. but I'll... so but what what so what came to me in terms of and I started from humor. All of this was like laughter. Where did laughter go? And uh, so I realized in the beginning of the relationship, we whether it, we have uh, male and female energy, mm -hmm. both men and women. Mm -hmm. Okay, when we are opposite, we're fine. Mm -hmm. When we become the same, and he's flipping the magnets over, yeah, and they're repelling each they're other. Repelled. It's that simple. So I put give and receive on each side of the magnet, so you have white receive and red give. And again, this is just right. words. You can change them to something else. Man, woman, you can change it to um, uh, gay reference. I mean, you mm -hmm. can say. Butch and, and uh, whatever. Right. Yeah. Feminine. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So it would be the same. If they're opposite, they will they will connect. If they're not, if they choose to be, and the, my job or my hope is to make this awareness simple and easy to understand. So once they get this, if they get consciously understanding of those two sides, whether it's a man or a woman, I don't, I don't care. If they understand it consciously, they can connect, because otherwise when they repel, they put this thing here, which that thing is whatever their needs are. So I call it a gift, but it's whatever their needs are, right? right. So they block it because this way they won't repel. Mm -hmm. So they don't argue those, are, so but they develop this invisible I, it's what I need is more important. Yeah. Okay, so this has no... That's um, smart, that's yeah. a smart way to do explain that. Well, yeah. and it softens it because I'm not pointing a finger, I'm not saying anything except once you're aware of those things, once you understand those things and consciously want to make a connection, what what happens? You have love and it makes a heart. Yep. That's beautiful. And it's sustainable. I love that. that. So that's kind of my hope, is to be able to blend what you saw last night, because this is more lecture-y, mm -hmm. uh, and people come for comedy, they don't need this, or they don't want it, actually. But if you don't get this, look what happens. Look at, look how how um, the broken heart is what most people experience and they don't get it, they don't understand, they think they're right, whatever they're right, but they're not happy. I love that, that is beautiful. Dr. Yakov Smirnov, this was a pleasure. It's my pleasure, thank you for asking good questions and, thank you for and wanting to know me. What a country and what a guy. Dr. Smirnoff, thank you very, very much for your time and hospitality in Branson. And everyone else out there wondering why this is so late, well, I got back from Branson and I had about two weeks to get over a strep throat situation that had been undiagnosed for about a month. That wiped me out through Thanksgiving. Then those of you that follow my other work, <clears throat> excuse me, know that I was in Vegas covering some shows and then... And then the holidays hit, and it was just crazy. So finally, in the new year, I get to sit down and bring this interview to you, which I have wanted to do for quite some time. So thank you again, Dr. Smirnoff. And before we go, I'm going to tell you the joke. Here's the joke. My grandmother, she loved to tell stories. And one of the stories she loved to tell me was of a time gone by. She would sit me down when we would bring her grocery order to her house and she would say, Matt, she would say, I remember when I could go to the grocery store with just a dollar, come back with a loaf of bread, a quart of milk, some meat to make dinner, some candy, and even some vegetables. She said, and I don't think we will ever see a time like that again. And I would say, Grandma, why is that so? And with a tearful, wistful look in her eye for times gone by, she would say, security cameras. <laughs>
I'm not laughing at the joke. I'm laughing at the, I still to this day will never forget the reaction that got in Branson, Missouri. It was just so much fun. Thank you, Yakov, for sharing your stage, for sharing your theater, for having me to your office. It was a true joy. That is it for us today. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two, on Instagram at Talk for Two Pod. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher. Visit talkfor2.com for everything bonus content, pictures of me on stage with Yakov. I meant to say that in the beginning. I'm going to put those pictures in the post when I do that uh, on talkfor2.com. So if you want to check that out, Head over to talkfor2.com and you can reach out to me at talkfor2cast at gmail.com. That's T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.